It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to episode number 75 of the Great Writer Share podcast, a show where every week we hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join us on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is Monday the 15th of February 2021 as of recording and we'll dive straight into my personal update. So it's been a long fun couple of weeks in and out of lockdown and looking after kiddo and all of the things um, I'm currently behind on a bit of client work, which is never fun, but I'm working to get ahead on that. But I have had some fun this week. This week I have, uh, in my fiction side of things, I have penned the first 1,000 words of a brand new novella, which I'm very excited about because I, I bought a cover back in, I want to say December, maybe November, just because the cover was beautiful and it made a bunch of ideas stir in my mind box. So I figured, you know, buy it, give it a go, see where it where it leads and finally I'm getting down to actually writing that book um, and yeah it's been a while since I've written something fictiony for me I think uh, the last fiction book I wrote was When Winter Comes episode number six of that serial and that was October or so so yeah about four or five months and it just feels nice it just feels nice getting fingers back to the keyboard visiting a world and just the unlimited possibilities of making something happen so that is uh, on its way I have no idea when that's going to be released or what it's going to, what it's going to do. I don't know how big it's going to be yet. It's just a project that I'm just enjoying and having fun with. Um, so I'll give you guys more information on that when I find out what the hell's going on. <laughs> In non-fiction news, I am also chipping away at my uh, productivity book. I think I mentioned last time I've now got a cover for it. I am uh, working through the chapters, taking my time, just trying to get things right because there are some really good books out on the market for productivity and I just want to make sure that I'm getting my spin and actually adding something different to the market as opposed to just regurgitating the same stuff in a slightly different way. So uh, it's going well. I'm enjoying that as well. Um, lots of fun things going on at the minute. So yeah, just chipping away and getting that done. And uh, this month, I'm also putting a lot of emphasis on promoting my coaching services, sort of throwing out some Facebook ads and different bits and pieces. Um, my boot camp is growing, which is awesome. It's still ticking along. And that has um, people in there who just basically come in every week to get the words together. It's just a, an online writing group um, and it's lots of fun. I, yeah, I've had a lot of fun running that over the past however many months it's been. And I'm also gearing up to launch the Camp Nano April month in which I'll basically be doing a full hold you to account sessions in which if you want to tackle Nano Remo, if you want to do Camp Nano Remo, I always said Boot Camp Nano Remo then, um, then get involved. It'll be a lot of fun and uh, hopefully I can help push you towards finishing that first draft or wherever it is you want to get done during that month. Today's guest is sci-fi writer of A Space Time Tale, which came out in December, Jay Benjamin. Jay was really, really fun to chat to. Uh, we went really, really deep into the weeds on some sort of geeky, sciencey stuff. We went a little bit into his background of coding and sort of the lessons that he learned there from failing and being able to move forward. We talk about uh, how to authentically include LGBTQ plus characters into your fiction. And uh, we talk about networking with authors. So uh, for anyone who's either interested in sci-fi, either interested in networking, either interested in getting your first book out or just writing in general, then you're in the right place because this is great writer share and this is gonna be a fun one. But now without any further ado, let's just dive into the interview with the one and only Mr. J. Benjamin. J. Benjamin is a sci-fi writer with a passion for space opera and aliens. He's been writing since the seventh grade. However, it wasn't until 2019 that he published his first novel, A Space-Time Tale. Jay's love for understanding the universe started as a kid, growing up in South Florida, watching the space shuttles take off from his backyard. He studied at the University of Arizona, which only deepened his curiosity for science. Jay loves to imagine what is possible. He looks at the universe, the pictures from the Hubble, and likes to believe there is something beyond them other than static photos of stars and nebulae. When not writing, Jay works in the tech industry. 
His passions include yoga, running, rowing, and worms multiplayer, burritos, and Middle Eastern are his go-to cuisines. Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel. I'm, pl- I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I've already had the slip. I already, I, we, we spoke a little bit before us whether I call you Jay or Joel or what, and I went from Jay <laughs> in the beginning, and I've already thrown a Joel out there. So we'll throw it around. It's fine. It works. Yeah. Um, tell me, so in your intro, obviously, there's a lot of very, very important stuff there, very, very interesting stuff about science, about space, about the wonders of the universe. What is it about Worms Multiplayer that gets you fired up? Oh, man. You know, I that game is just so addicting. I've been playing it since, I think, Worms Armageddon on the N64. Nice. And I don't know, those little things crawling across the screens, talking in their little squeaky voices, and then firing weapons at each other. It's, it's such a stupid but addicting game, and it's a strategy game, and you have to, like, plan all your moves strategically, and that's kind of what I love about it. Um, but at the same time, it's not very serious, kind of like me. Mm. So <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that game is kind of like a um, allegory to my life. I love it. And have you got involved in sort of like the online side of it, or is it sort of just your general flat local at the minute? You know, like I'm not one of those people who's like really hardcore, like mm. you know, going into forums and like talking to like other gamers. But you know, I just I know other people, a few friends of mine who play the game, and occasionally we'll do a game together. Um, Truth be told, I haven't been playing it as much in 2020 just because, like, you know, I was so busy writing Space Time 2 and all these other things. But usually in between books, like when I'm finally have like a tiny little window, that's when I'll like get into it. Yeah, I think everyone needs one of those just ways to zone out and just to have a bit of fun. Mine at the minute, for some reason, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the game Rocket League. That's that's mine. It's I've heard like of it. That's cars playing football. soccer one, right? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, soccer, of course. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's funny. My last roommate, when I was um, a couple of years ago, I had a um, roommate I was living with, and he had a PS4, mm. and he had it every day with that game. And at first, I was like, what is this? But then as I watched him, I'm like, oh, this actually looks kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's repetitive, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I was, um, I was terrible at Rocket League, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We can uh, we can stick with Worms. Have a go on that. I, I dipped out of Worms at around the 3D mode. When they started bringing in 3D, I was like, I'm checking out. Like, yeah, I, no, I like that was flat. a little, that was that was a mistake. They, mm. they, they, they went back to 2D after that. Well, that's good. That, that, that's much better. <laughs> Might have to give that yeah. a go. But we are we are obviously here to talk about uh, you and all your writing and all your books and, and how you tick as an author. Start by telling my audience a little bit about how you got into writing and what got you to where you are today. Yeah, so good question. You know, I've been writing, like like you mentioned earlier, I've been writing since seventh grade. Um, For reference, know. what is that in, in UK? What How, how old okay, are you in seventh so grade? UK, that's like when you turn 13 years old. Um Seventh grade is that weird year, man. It's like that year where you've truly broken away from your childhood years. You've broken away from, you know, Nickelodeon and Power Rangers and all that stuff. But at the same time, you're not quite at that mature stage Mm -hmm. yet where you're like learning more about who you are as a person and what you want your future to be like. Seventh grade is kind of like purgatory in a lot of ways. (laughs) It was my least favorite year, by the way. I hated seventh grade. Um, we might come back to that. <laughs> so, but during that time, you know, I had this creativity itch that, you know, had always kind of been there. And, you know, I I knew that I was not the kind of person who was, you know, like, because I was like making video games as a kid, um, little, you know, boring video games that didn't have much substance to them, but... I realized I kind of wanted to do something more and writing, I think was of all the mediums, the one that allowed me to, you know, show the most creativity. It really opened up um, the, it really opened up the horizon, I guess you could say. And what was it specifically? Is there anything you can nail it down to in, in terms of what made writing that call for you? Because obviously there are many avenues you can go. You've got, you've got art, you've got music, you've got all these different ways, but writing seemed to be the calling. Well, believe it or not, I actually did music as well. Um, nice. I was in a band and I was a lead singer and I actually can play guitar. I have one sitting right over there. But um, for me, I think writing ultimately, um, you know, it's like writing. <clears throat> sorry, my voice is a little hoarse at the moment. That's fine. Writing is what allows you to travel the universe. You know, writing is what, you know, Think about it like this. It takes eight minutes for um, 
the sun or it takes eight minutes for sunlight to reach the earth it in the world of writing you're already there um in the world of writing you're already across the universe you're already um at places that are physically impossible to reach and the thing I love about writing is that there's really no limits to the things you can accomplish. I know that sounds a little bit cliche, and I'm sure you've heard that one before, but it's the truth, I think. Absolutely. And uh, obviously you plunged into sci-fi. Was that where you began or was it sort of a slow transition into getting into the world of writing sci-fi? Truth be told, I was a little more fantasy when I first started. I was you know, writing about like these creatures who had magic powers, who lived inside like what's called subspace and you know it was really fantastical stuff that I feel like today doesn't really you know today I think my writing's a little bit more grounded in um science not to say there's anything wrong with fantasy but, <laughs> um, I think at the time when I was young and figuring this stuff out I think especially the fact that I grew up in Florida and I was very heavily exposed to NASA, very heavily exposed to watching the spacecraft take off. Like every time there was a launch, you could see it right from my back yard. And NASA was four hours away, but I could still see this stuff. And I just think that really played a huge role in driving me in that direction. So was there a specific launch event? Was there anything in which fueled that first dive into sci-fi for you because it is a bit of a jump to go from and it's a journey that I've, I've taken as well when I first started uh, a lot of what I was writing was fantasy and that's stuff that will never see the light of day and when I started to go into my first big projects it was a fantasy series that I had in my head and I was so ready to write it and I tried about five or six different times and then just switched into uh, horror went a little bit into sort of fantasy horror but now a lot more of my horror People, my readers will probably argue, but I like to think it's a little bit more grounded than probably where I came from. But it is quite a, a strong transition to go from here's a complete pretend world of things that will not never exist, but obviously it's not very likely they're going to exist, yeah. um, into something where you're sort of telling the hard truths, you're playing a lot more with sort of like facts and, and measurements and, you know, the things that really exist in this realm. So how, how did that jump look for you? Well, I'll tell you, um, for starters, I didn't really get serious about my writing until I got a little older. Um, you know, cause during high school I had this whole idea, but at the same time, there was part of me that was like, didn't really understand what I was doing. You know, like I wrote down this big manuscript. It was kind of like in the world of software, they call it spaghetti code. This was mm. like a spaghetti manuscript when you have all these ideas, but it's not very cohesive yet. Um, and I think, I don't know, also I got severe ADHD and as a kid, I was just distracted by so many other things. So um, I think as I got older, the writing bug would occasionally rear its head again, like it would come back at certain times. And by the time it came back, like really like came back, um, cause I had manuscripts in high school that I was writing as well, but I feel like back then I didn't really have like a serious plot or like um, an idea of how to take these ideas and extrapolate them all the way out, you know, into like a finished product. And so um, I think as I got older and started understanding science better and started understanding the world better, I think that kind of pushed me in that progression. And also when I was in college and, you know, looking through um, the telescopes at the U of A and you know, really understanding the universe a lot better. I think those sorts of things kind of grounded me more in that direction. Mm. And a it's definitely bit, okay. just a little bit away from fantasy, a little bit more towards sci-fi. Yeah, no, it's fine. And it's definitely a, uh, it's a, it's one, so one of the things you, you said there that totally resonated is like how different writing feels sort of particularly during college and high school years as opposed to what it feels like when you're actually taking writing seriously. And for me, I can definitely feel and remember the moments in which I started really taking writing seriously and going, okay, let's knuckle down and do this. Um, when when was that moment for you? Because obviously, in if I've got uh, my facts right, in December last year, you published your first novel, which was a space time tale. Uh, it seems to be selling very very well in its uh, in its, its genres. I have been uh, checking it out, and uh, yeah, there's a moment in which you go from writing these pieces of 
where it's essentially sort of, I guess, raw expressionism and just playing with the form to going, okay, I'm going to take this seriously as a writer and I'm going to publish a book. What did that, what did that journey look like for you? Well, I'll tell you, I had another book and it was going to be called Marius, which was basically a book that takes place in a city under the ice sheets of Europa on a city called Marius. It takes place a thousand years in the future. This was a book that I'm not kidding you went to like four or 500 pages. Um, the problem was half of it was like handwritten. The other half of it was just like typed out. This was like my first real big jump back towards writing. And I had all these incredible ideas for it. But again, you know, the plot got kind of lost and got a little ahead of itself. I didn't, you know, know what I was doing with it. I didn't like really consider how to edit it. So eventually it kind of just, you know, I also was at the time trying to like, you know, make a living for myself, trying to like, you know, get like my grounding in the real world, as they say. Um, I think what happened was after I moved to San Francisco, um, I started writing more and more. And I had these ideas for sci-fi books that would take some of those elements from Marius and apply them in a more, I think, um, I guess you could say a novel that was just better well-written. And then I think 2016 is where things really kind of got to a head. Um, let's just say my career as a web developer was a complete failure. I was, you know, I went to a boot camp. I learned how to code. Um, I tried a few jobs, you know, as a web developer, they failed, um, you know, I acknowledged it. One day during this period, I went to a cafe here in San Francisco called the Revolution Cafe. It was a hot day during what we call our second summer, you know, in autumn in San Francisco is when it gets really warm. So I'm sitting in this cafe, it's humid out, I'm drinking a few glasses of sangria, and I just started jotting down this whole, um, I guess you could say, outline of a potential book. And that book eventually grew and grew. And, you know, I started writing out the outline of what I wanted it to look like. And now, and then three years later, that became a space-time tale. Nice. That's a hell of an origin story. I love that. No, no, sorry, I know that was a spiel. <laughs> no, no, I like it. I like it. I like the color of the, the the cafe and just all the the inception of it coming towards you. I also like it when writers use elements of past projects that haven't quite panned out how they wanted it to into future stuff because I think it shows that journey of how nothing is ever really finished and nothing's ever really a failure. Because I mean, you exactly. talk then about your web developer career and how that failed. How did you? How did you face that failure? How did, how did you overcome that and, and look at the next thing? Because obviously things like that, sometimes they can really break people and stop people oh, yeah. from moving forward. So what was it that kept you going? I think what kept me going <clears throat> was, um, you know, I think there were a number of things. I think the writing was one thing that definitely kept me going. Also, eventually I did, you know, spoiler alert, I did land on my feet shortly after. I went back into project management, this time with some of the tech skills I learned. So, um, and this was at least a year or two before I eventually came to work at the company that I'm at now. Um, so things, you know, eventually sorted themselves out, sorted themselves out on that end. But at the same time, you know, I think the writing played a huge role in that because during this critical point in my life, I was like, you know, what do I want to do with my future? And mm -hmm. obviously writing is a huge part of that. But at the same time, you know, in San Francisco, you know, the rain ain't cheap. Got to, you know, be able to have something to pay the bills, as they say, while you're pursuing your creative passion. Um, I did not expect at the time that Space Time Tale was going to turn out the way it turned out. I will say that. How so? Well, <laughs> for starters, the cover, um, you know, well, not just the cover, but like, I didn't think it was going to you know, I thought it was going to be like, I find an agent and if I'm lucky, I might get a publishing deal. I didn't actually think that I'd be publishing it myself, that I'd be getting a fan base of, you know, 2000 email subscribers, that I'd build my own website from scratch, that I do all these things. And then I'd be discussing a sequel shortly after. Um, I, you know, I honestly didn't, it's, it's like, um, I think Tim Ferriss said it. It's like, 
you're trying to plot like the next 50 years or something, but you have um, a, a flashlight that can only see 10 feet ahead. Mm. So it kind of felt like that. Yeah. Yeah, I love a, <laughs> I love that journey and that the surprise of being able to find readers and bring them into your work. Because I think a lot of people underestimate how, I mean, easy is definitely the wrong word, but how that kind of um, fan base can very, very slowly build. And like you say, you originally started with the idea that this would be a, you know, this a published book, you get an agent, or the traditional route of, of taking publishing, and you've gone independent with it. How did you how did you source all the information? How did you research what the independent journey would look like in order to publish that first book? Absolutely. And, and that's a good question. I think what happened for me, it was all about understanding the genre. And I think in the sci-fi genre, you know, as I started doing more and more research, what I came to realize was that most sci-fi readers, they, um, at least the ones that I've seen, they love Kindle books. They love, um, they're, they're very heavy on ebook series. And the thing is, I took a look at this from, you know, value proposition. What can a publisher offer me as an author versus what could I accomplish as an independent author? And I, you know, came to realize that, you know, no disrespect to the publishing industry by any means, but I also felt that given my space, what I'm trying to accomplish here, you know, the readers who I'm trying to reach, I could just as well reach them with a well-executed independent campaign. I could build the website myself. I could, you know, I know enough, at least from my tech background to, you know, put together an email list, put together some of the marketing tools that are needed. Um, I also had some help along the way. I actually worked with Ricardo Fayette, who's at Reedsy. Yes. And he's been an incredible resource, um, learned a lot from working with him. Um, I also think talking to other authors is incredibly helpful. Actually, no, it's not incredibly helpful. It is absolutely critical. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a necessity. Um, I think understanding the genre played the biggest role of all, because once you understand the people you're trying to reach, I think um, how you market to them becomes a lot clearer. Mm. And you definitely, uh, I mean, on, on your website and your bio, you list a lot of your influences. You've got people like Isaac Asimov, you've got Stephen Baxter, you've got John Skultzy. I'm going to butcher the names, uh, Nnedi Okarafor and Becky Chambers, uh, to name a few. Why, why are these the, the people that you chose to follow? What, what is it about their work that's, that's drawn you in and, and influenced you? Yeah, so um, Nnedi Okarafor, she wrote, um, Ugh, God, you know, I just knew the series off the top of my head. I, that happens to me sometimes. I'll forget things. I'll find it. I'll but, pop it in the show notes. <laughs> he's written some incredible work that I really found inspiring, um, involving aliens and involving first contact. Becky Chambers is someone who I absolutely love. She's from the Bay Area. She wrote the um, Wayfarers series. So um, some of her books are very... Um, very space opera heavy. It's about these people traveling the universe. It's um, what I, you know, reading her books, I think were very inspiring, especially because she has a lot of inclusion with her characters. And then if you look at some of the others, Stephen Baxter was one that I read a lot as a kid. I'd go to the local Barnes and Noble, which was like two minute drive from my house. And every time I went into the sci-fi section, he was the one whose books always caught my eye. And I read some of his stuff, like the Manifold series. It was, one, depressing. <laughs> Way the hell out there in terms of some of the ideas he had. Like, you have, like, time, like, these characters, they go through the entire loop of time, like, trillions and trillions of years into the future, so far that they restart at the beginning. And then the same thing with space. And it shows, like, humans living a billion years into the future when humans have gone extinct. And... <laughs> Again, very depressing stuff, but very like mind expanding type of stuff. And I think that definitely kind of um, got me into sci-fi quite a bit. Mm. And you, uh, so you write a lot about, or you've got a passion for uh, space and aliens. You like, that seems to be your way, where you base a lot of your sci-fi. Um, and your latest book is set in 2081. How do you go about crafting a world in the future? What 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 are some of the the key touchstones that you that you go across when you're trying to write what hasn't yet been invented? <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that's a good question. I think um, 
trying to understand the future, I was trying to think of myself, what would be an interesting time period to show like where this book takes place? Originally, I thought about doing it in the 2060s or 2050s, but then part of me was like, you know what, that's, that's too soon. Let's go towards a period where I'm going to be like either dead or close to death. I was born in 86. So 19, so 2080s, I thought to myself, you know, this would be interesting because it's far enough into the future where um, you can't accurately predict what's going to happen. But, um, you know, like you could see what certain trends today will be like after they've been played out a good um, 60 years from now. And so I think um, 2080s, I think, seemed like a good zone as far as what I wanted to portray, because it's not so far removed from reality, but at the same time, it's far enough to where um, you can get a little more creative with some of the things you're trying to um, explain. Mm. Hello, this is Hannah from Red Handed. Would you like to watch something scary, like really scary? So scary you'll hide behind the sofa. Then you need Shudder. Shudder is the ultimate streaming service. If you like heart-racing thrillers, the mind-bending supernatural, and a good old gut-wrenching horror, discover an unbeatable collection of Hollywood classics and critically acclaimed new genre films that are sure to leave you feeling satisfied, if a little freaked out. Sign up now at Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. Shudder. So good, it's scary. It's interesting, particularly when you read uh, some of the sci-fi books that came out about 10 years ago and what they were predicting, obviously, like now to be like, and how quickly people can get things wrong. What's What are some of the things that maybe you're quite proud of from your book that you've invented, that you've put inside that may potentially not exist by, by the year 2081? Well, um, that potentially might not exist by the year 2081. Um well, I hope the part of South Florida being underwater doesn't happen. Interesting. Um, okay. You know, family lives there, and obviously I don't want that to happen. <laughs> um, but in the book, <clears throat> like, in the book, there is a scene that takes place in an underwater Miami, and they basically take over a skyscraper and do things to it to repurpose it for a different use. Um without giving spoilers away, of course. Mm, But um, I think, you know, things like the brain technology would be interesting. I think um, there will come a day when our minds are, where computers, you know, meld with our minds and we're doing all sorts of things like living in dream world, like San Junipero from that Black Mirror episode that was, Mm. that may have had a little bit of inspiration in there. Um, But I think things like that could eventually come around. One thing that I hope does not happen is that like, you know, as we get so interconnected with all these things that we don't lose ourselves as humans. And that to me is one thing that I'm very cognizant of. And I really hope doesn't become like, you know, the norm for us. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm getting sort of really down the rabbit hole of just like overthinking of, of bits yeah. and things that I've watched lately. Um, just because within my genre with, with horror you can sort of go into the sci-fi realms and you can play around with it but i tend to sort of stick up very much with contemporary where we here where we are now but it it must be a completely different realm for sci-fi now because again if you go back 20 30 years so much of what exists now didn't exist and the possibility of you know altering people's bodies looking at putting computers within people's minds all that kind of stuff was just fiction and now it's very much becoming a reality so what are some of the things that you're paying attention to now within you know the current political uh, technological climate that are influencing where your books are heading well man that's a that's a good question i think within the political you, you, technology- you're starting to tickle my geek bone <laughs> well i think when it comes to you know the political technological i think um i think one of the things that we're all paying attention to is just how kind of balkanized societies become lately with um how technology has become so and i think technology has a huge part to do with it because you know look especially here in the states we've always been divided we've always had disagreements on things but i feel like with technology we've been so funneled into these echo chambers that we can't even have honest discussions more about anything without becoming you know, monsters to everyone else. And 
I, I don't know. I feel like um, that's one part of it, but I also feel like um, I think just like the widening influence of technology, how it's, you know, learning more and more about us. I think it, AI as one example, I think these are things that while I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of saying it's the end of the world and it's apocalyptic, I do think these are things we should be concerned about in the years to come. I recently watched, uh, I think I mentioned this on a, another podcast episode maybe, but I recently um, watched Unnatural Selection on Netflix, which oh, yeah. if you've not That's seen it, it's like a, it's a four part episode, uh, it's a four episode series about biohacking and altering DNA and all the progressions that have made with that. And one thing that I took from that, which I found uh, quite interesting is you don't realize how far advanced science really has gotten um, just generally across the world, because we obviously live in our bubbles of what we know, what we can access, what we can afford. And so much of the modern literature that's coming out, you know, sort of barring obviously sci-fi, people are a lot more aware of that, but in every other genre, there seems to be this five, 10, 15 year delay in terms of, I'm only just reading about books that came out last year that mentioned people on Instagram or Twitter or social media as sort of themes. So it's, it's interesting to try and see how long it's going to take for that to catch up and to see a lot more influence of, you know, what is currently science fact that's already been in science fiction coming into contemporary books. I mean, heck man, just look at the pandemic. I mean, Gosh, you know, all those authors I'm thinking of right now who predicted like worldwide doomsday pandemics and who predicted zombie apocalypse. I mean, I got to say, like, they were probably the closest to reality of anybody. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, good. maybe it's not a zombie apocalypse, but still. <laughs> good time to be in an apocalypse. Um, you, you make a point of featuring LGBTQ characters in your work. Uh, tell us a little bit about why and how that looks for you. Well, you know, I think, um, you know, speaking as an openly gay man myself, I think it's always important to include yourself, include, <clears throat> sorry, include, you know, the background you came from. I think a lot of authors, you know, sometimes just can't help it. You know, it is a part of who you are. It is, um, you know, always, you know, it is always good to include representation in your books, I feel. At the same time, though, you know, one of the things I find most fascinating about my fan base, and I've and I've seen this with a lot of the people who've picked up Space Time, who gave it incredible reviews. Not everybody, you know, most of my readers are not LGBT. Many of them um, come from different parts of the world. I've had a lot of people who are in their fifties and sixties, who are heterosexual, who live in the United States, who've said very positive things about the books, who, um, you know, might not always agree with me when it comes to certain things. I even had one guy, believe it or not, who refused to read Space Time because he was not pleased with Starscraper and the lesbian protagonist. <laughs> and he told me that, but then he still gave it a five-star review on Goodreads. Interesting. Which, um, yeah, I know. That was interesting indeed. But, um, you know, look, it's. I think it's always good to try and open people's minds up. You know, I think if I can be that kind of author who, you know, is able to take people of different backgrounds and make them, you know, be able to get along better or not be mortal enemies with each other. I think that is, you know, that's a role I'm proud to take on. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, sci-fi isn't gonna, you know, like one, you know, a couple of books aren't gonna fix that. But at the same time, I think one of the things about writing, especially um, when it comes to um, science fiction or fantasy or, you know, horror even, when people go to our books, it's to get away from a lot of the crazy of the real world. It is to um, kind of put themselves in a, in a reality that is detached from actual reality. And one of the things I'm trying to do as an author is try to, you know, entertain people, give them a story they'll enjoy, but at the same time, you know, maybe open their minds up to certain things that they hadn't, you know, understood or experienced in their own lives so i think that's part of it and what would you say to someone because i mean i've had a couple of people on the the podcast who uh actively and um I'm trying to think of the right word would be but they write the the lgbtq lgbtq plus uh characters within the books and one thing that i i 
still struggle with because I, I don't have a lot of that representation in my books. And it's something that I definitely want to rectify because I'm a massive proponent of, you know, writing everyone and sort of um, the whole point for me of writing is to be able to experience life through other people's eyes, to open your mind, to sort of play around with your understanding of what the world is for other people. Um, but one of the struggles I do have is trying to write in a way that's authentic and that um, won't offend people. Cause obviously there is an element of some people might not appreciate the way that I portray people of, you know, that community because I, I don't fit within that community. So what would you say to someone like me who is looking at influence, uh, not influencing, but adding more of that kind of content into his books, but it's just a little bit, uh, you know, honestly nervous to start. And you know what you just said, by the way, that's something I struggle with as well, because, you know, I'm, I'm a cisgender man. And, you know, if I wanted to put like, um, I've, I've, you know, lamented the fact that there are not a lot of, there's not a lot of trans representation in my books. And one of the things I've been thinking about as an author is exactly what you just mentioned yourself. And I think, you know, it's important whenever you're writing characters in a book, um, if they come from a background that's not your own, at the very least, I think you, you should educate yourself. You know, you should talk to people who come from those backgrounds. You should talk to people who have gone through those life experiences. And if you're going to go there, at least just, you know, be respectful. Um, I think it's important also to make the characters very much a fabric of the book rather than just, you know, throw them out there and be like, oh, look, we got, we got a gay person here. Hooray. Mm -hmm. Like I checked off this box. Like, I think it's important to, you know, write them in a way where they are part of the story with the other characters, not just like there for gimmicks and stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. What kind and, of, um, cause you're, that's fine. You obviously, uh, mentioned you get a lot of good reviews. Have you, have you had any backlash even, you know, in today for any of those characters that you've written or is it pretty much all positive across the board? You know, no, with the exception of that one review that I got from that mm. one guy, um, well, sorry, his five-star review and then yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to read space time because blah, blah, blah. Um, with the exception of that, I haven't really gotten any backlash. Um, I did have people who didn't enjoy the book who said, I thought this was boring or, you know, your technology is completely impossible. I mean, a space station that has gravity, like... Things like that, like most of the criticism that I've gotten so far have been the kind of across the board general criticisms that most sci-fi authors get. So knock on wood for that, like that I am thankful for. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, you know, like I do have LGBT representation in my books, but that's not like the only thing that the books are about. You know, like the books are about, you know, humans making first contact with aliens and, in a future where we know the aliens are out there, we just haven't spoken to them yet because we've seen them through telescopes. And I think, um, I don't know, it's, 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 a, it's a sensitive subject. It's a fine line. Like I don't have the answer for how we can best go forward and bridge those gaps, but it's, it's a work in progress. I think like you say, the more that people just consciously contribute and eat no matter how big, no matter how small within their books and sort of be more cognizant of how the world is around us, the more that slowly does just work its way into the, uh, into the zeitgeist. And I think part of it also in, in your example might even just be um, sometimes if you, if you find the right tribe, if you find the right people that are reading your books that understand you as an author, you as uh, the, the journey that you're on, the, the content that you generally put out, that might be a factor in terms of just keeping that positive review and, and to keeping right. um, people on your side. How, how have you gone about recruiting your fans? How have you, how have you built that list? Well, for me, um, twofold. Um, obviously, I've you know, used a lot of Facebook ads, which I know a lot of authors are very heavily reliant on. Um, Amazon ads have been a big one as well. Um, but I would say aside from the ads, I think, you know, reaching out to groups of people who are like, you know, I think re reaching out to reading groups is a big one. Um, and the biggest one, and, and one of the big, really big ones that I don't think we give enough credit to is talking to other authors, just really trying to get immersed in the, um, writing community and trying to talk. And it doesn't always have to be sci-fi authors either. I mean, heck, I'm talking to you, you're a horror author, <laughs> and, you know, but like 
I think it's I think it's important to just try and reach those groups and you know because one thing you'll realize as you advertise to people in sci-fi is you I mean it's a large audience but at the same time like a lot of the people are pretty well connected to each other like there's like it's it's not hard to break into if you just put in the legwork because mm. there are a, a thousand subgenres of, of sci-fi how okay. do you how do you find the way to market your book into the correct one you know i mean and that's a good question because when i originally started space time tale there were people who were saying this is military sci-fi and i myself originally advertised a bit towards military sci-fi but then as you know the book started progressing and then when it started writing the sequel i came to realize this is more like the, the main character is a scientist and while she is involved in this military organization that is putting together this mission that she's going to be a part of you know there are, there are no commanding officers in the book there isn't like this general who's kind of like one of the main characters it's not like you know it's not like reading someone like Ken Lizito or someone like um uh gosh I'm blanking on the name again <laughs> um who's Oh, Jasper T. Scott. It's not like one of, I mean, they're great authors and I do love their books and I've read a lot of them, believe it or not. And I do read a lot of military sci-fi myself, but my book is kind of a bit different from that. And so I think with the sci-fi genre, it's like you pick your main one, which in my case is space opera, but you know, you can also dip your feet into a few other one like subgenres as well to like find like-minded audiences. So like you find your big one, but then like, you know, create those linkages with some of the smaller groups. Hmm. And you mentioned that a couple of times how critical just networking has been to you as an author in terms of building an audience, resourcing and finding out the information that you need. Was that something that you expected in the beginning or was that something that sort of the more you went on the journey you, you became familiar with? Oh, it was definitely a more of a along the journey sort of deal, I would say. And how would you go about, so say, for example, we've got someone listening to the podcast who's literally just today decided they wanted to be an author. What would be the advice that you'd give to them in terms of reaching out to other people, in terms of maybe etiquette, in terms of sort of the, the boundaries of respect and stuff? How, how would you advise them? Well, you know, I would tell them, um, I would say first things first, before you start reaching out to other people, you know, focus on your own book first, you know, try to, you know, um, I would say the most important thing is, you know, focus on your own work first, try to get it as good as you can get it, you know, um, try to refine your style. And then when it comes time to reaching out to other people, I think it's always good to know who you're talking to. Don't just like go up to such and such author and say, Hey, great work. Want to read mine? Like, I think it's always important, no matter which author you reach out to show an interest in what they're doing, you know, talk to them, like read some of their work before you reach out to them, you know, like just at least show that you've done some of the homework first, you know, because when, when another author comes up to you and says, Hey, I loved reading a space time tale, or, you know, I loved reading um, the series you did. I found it very compelling. I think that speaks a lot louder than, you know, if you just hit somebody up and say, Hey, when it, you know what I mean? Like just mm. know who you're talking to and just, you know, educate yourself before you go into it. Yeah. That's sound advice. It's definitely something that a lot of people overlook. I, I get a lot of, Hey, Damien's. <laughs> Damien's. Yeah. Get a lot of, Hey, Damien. Or, hey, David. Oh God. That's just, funny. Yeah. People that kind of get that right first time. But I, I also know from like uh, experience. So when it comes to reaching out to those people initially, you, you may get a lot of silences and you may get a lot of people that don't reply. And for a lot of people that can be quite disheartening. Um, but the, the only advice I give there is you have to understand that people have their own lives to live and that they're, they're very busy people and they must get, you know, hundreds of thousands of messages of requests and everything a day. So don't let that be something that stops you yeah. taking that risk and reaching out. It just might not necessarily be that person's your, your, your contact. No completely agreed. And I've, I've been on, I, I, I've been through that, you know, like I would say to the author or to the future authors who are listening to this, everything that Daniel just said, you know, like I've experienced that where, you know, you write to somebody and they don't respond or they do respond. It's like, Oh, Hey, good luck. 
Mm -hmm. talk like sort of like a casual wave off. And, you know, look, it happens. It's going to happen to you. It's happened to us. But I think as, you know, with experience, I think the more, you know, the more you slug away at this, the more that you write, the more that you put into your own work, people are going to recognize that. People are going to see what you've accomplished. And I think really that's the best advice I can give is just keep at it, keep writing, keep, you know, refining your ideas, keep building on them because the more you build on your own stuff, the more you self-improve, the more credibility you're going to have when you reach out to others. And heck, maybe, you know, some of them will start reaching out to you as you get better at your own stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. It's definitely the the long tail. It's a long game and just keeping your face in the community as well. I do find now, because um, you know, I've been in the community since uh, 2015, and I find now that a lot of the people I speak to are people whose names I just kept seeing pop up over the years. And you just subconsciously become more familiar with people and you expect to see certain faces and, and names in the community. So that's always a, a good way just to tail in. Yeah, we are. Uh, we are unfortunately coming up close to time. I have one more main question for you before we jump into some Patreon questions. And that question is the same question we ask people every single week, which is, why do you, Jay Benjamin, write? Why do I write? Um, it's what I do. I love writing. It's my passion. And, you know, it's like, why does, you know, why does a um, singer sing? Why does a uh, painter paint? And I think for me, um, it's just at the core of who I am. I'm going to add another one. I'm going to add another question. What's next for you? Like you say, you're working currently on the, the sequel to uh, Space Time Tale? So, so I recently turned in the manuscript for Space Time 2, which is going to be called The Celestial Minds. That's the official title of the book. I've turned it into my editor. I'm preparing to release it by February at the latest. And so The Celestial Minds is coming out soon. And as soon as the Celestial Minds is finished, I'm going to get work. I'm going to get to work on book three, which also has a name. It's called the Galactic Scourge, and so that one will be coming out in probably mid to later 2021. So I think getting, I think finishing up the trilogy to space time is my main goal. And then whether I create another trilogy after that, or whether I get started on this other series that I'm thinking of, those are the next steps. Exciting. And let's get really meta here because I believe this episode will probably launch around February time. So wow. if it's out and if you're listening, then go and get your copy yeah. and uh, I'll pop a, a link in the show notes for people to grab that. Uh, Patreon questions. So we had one question from uh, David Hines over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writer share. And David says he has read that in sci-fi, the science needs to be accurate slash believable. Is this essential or can something just be made up, not fully explained and still worked into the story? Yeah, no, that's, and what you, what David asked is probably one of the most existential questions in all of sci-fi. I think <laughs> it, it needs to be relatively believable. Yes. I, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like you don't have to explain, I don't think you have to get deep into the weeds of explaining why a um, starship is able to open a wormhole and travel to another galaxy, but you should at least be able to give a little bit of background to kind of justify it. So I would say 75% um, believable. 25 would, would we use the term pseudoscience? Uh, or is that something know. different? Pseudoscience is more like, um, I don't know. I don't know if pseudoscience is the proper term I would use, but I would say at least um, it, it needs to have some believability to it. So you need to be like, for instance, a wizard with a magic wand. You know, obviously that's fantasy when you see it on the surface, but if I could explain how that wizard's magic wand is really a um, tool that has a bunch of nanites in it and they can manipulate the matter around them. Well, I just turned that wizard. I, I just went along the path of turning that wizard into science fiction. And now I've got an idea for a story. <laughs> okay, straight into our quick fire round now. So I have 10 questions. I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. Uh, it's all in good fun. You can pass at any point. Are you ready? Go for it. iRobot or Terminator? iRobot. Which shoe do you put on first, left or right? Oh, left. If you were sucked into a black hole with every author you loved and you could only save one person, who would be the one person you'd save? Pass. What are you currently reading? What am I currently reading? 
I'm actually reading Not Alone 7 by Craig Faulkner. Good choice. Uh, do you own a telescope? I do not own a telescope. Tesla or NASA? NASA. What's your favorite beach? My favorite beach, I would say it's um, Baker Beach here in San Francisco. What's your dream holiday destination? My dream holiday destination, um, I would say it's, I would say it's probably um, the Greek islands. What's your favorite planet? My favorite planet, definitely Saturn. Chocolate or wine? Wine. And that's 10 questions. One bonus question is where can my listeners find out everything about you and all that you're working on? Yes. So jbenjamin.pub, which I know um, for you, for you Brits, when you hear .pub, you probably think something different, but it sounds glorious. (laughs) Yeah. So jbenjamin.pub. And if you subscribe on there, you'll get my emails regularly. I'll tell you about my upcoming projects. You can also, if you subscribe, get access to Starscraper, the free prequel to Space Time Tale. It's a 70 page, um, it's 70 page free prequel, gives you kind of like an idea of what to expect in the series. Um, yeah, so that's that's where to go. You can also join my Facebook page, uh, Jay Benjamin. Beautiful, and I'll pop all the links for that in the show notes for anyone who wants to go over and grab all that good stuff. Jay, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, giving us all your wisdom on sci-fi. It's been a blast. I appreciate it. All righty. I'll see you around. Thank you. No worries. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writers Share podcast. Join us next week when Holly will be speaking with Mark Watson. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare to support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare. Until next time.